Lamb to the Slaughter by Roald Dahl. This is one of the greatest tools used for writers and readers alike when talking about irony and talking about the truth when the truth is too truthiness. <laughs> Welcome to the Codex Cantina. I am Una. And I am dazzled by your tongue-twisting abilities crypto. <laughs> <laughs> so this story was published in 1953, and it's told from a third-person limited narrative perspective of, of over Mary's shoulder. So the legend or suggested way that this story comes about, Ian Fleming was a good friend of Dahl and told him one time, I bet you can't write a story that a person is killed by a leg of mutton and then serves that to the cops that come to investigate the murder. So I think he took this as a challenge and then wrote this story. So this is typically selected by a lot of teachers because it's a great way to teach students about irony, not even just what irony is, but how to do it in a very elegant way. And I think we can do some interesting historical analysis here. We'll keep it real brief on that touch. I really like the beginning of this story because he uses the symmetry of painting a picture. It starts off with two glasses, starts off with two chairs, starts off with two lamps. There's two of everything. And in the story, there are two main characters, her and the husband. And he has painted a beautiful picture that really expresses their relationship. So there are two chairs and one chair she's sitting in and the other is empty. And throughout the story, very short story, so kind of spoilers here already, he is unfulfilled in his life. That's the representation, I think, of the empty chair. In her glass, she has water, and she's meant to represent innocence and purity, which water is. He's the vile, poisonous, evil one, kind of represented in the beginning of the story, anyway. And he has the whiskey, the alcohol, in his, his glass. And I think that Rawl just does a great job of setting up this story in a very clean manner through the use of this symbolism. And I really like that. Yeah, the opening line is... The room was warm and clean, the curtains drawn, the two table lamps lit. Hers and the only empty chair opposite, on the sideboard behind her, two tall glasses, soda water, whiskey. And I think even the light and the dark there with the lamps being lit and the curtains drawn is kind of interesting too. Yeah, maybe she's closed off from the rest of the world and her only contact is, is him. It's a great start to a story. It really sets the tone. Well, even she glances at the clock now and then, but without anxiety. Like if you're constantly glancing at the clock, you have expectations of there being anxiety there, right? Patrick always had a routine when he came home. That was the whole point of this intro. And then he springs this surprise on her about the divorce. So he's constantly playing with these expectations. You're expecting this happy marriage. And then you get a surprise of something else happening. There's, there's a lot of irony in, in what he's using here, which is why I think this is one of the most popular selections for teachers when it comes to how do you write irony and what is the point of irony? Irony is a key component of this story. The verbal irony is very much on the surface. It's very obvious. And I believe that there are other ironies that can be talked about in a deeper meaning in the story. Yeah, and I think another good one is kind of dramatic irony, where the reader is in on the joke. So that's kind of like that line at the end of the story. The cops are eating the leg of lamb, the murder weapon, and they say, "If it's the old story, he said, get the weapon and you've got the man. The reader's in on the joke. And I think why it's important for people to understand this is this increases the tension or it adds a lot of humor elements to it. You can think about the a scary movie and not knowing that the bad guy is is nearby or not having any tension hook there wouldn't be any tension but when you know that the bad guy is doing something in close by you can feel that a lot more from a viewer perspective now you can flip that and take that from the humor perspective one of my favorite scenes is the toby Maguire scene and with bruce campbell 
when in Spider-Man where he's proposing to her. You as the audience know he's getting ready to propose and when he makes the hand signal and Bruce Campbell coming in and out of the scene, it's, it's a hysterical moment. But if you didn't know that was what was going on, like that would just be a really weird scene to be watching and knowing what's going on. So, so dramatic irony can really play up the emotions at the time, both from a fear as well as like a, a relatable and humor perspective. What I love about how he uses the dramatic irony at the end here is the dark comedy of it. She knows she's getting away with murder now. We know that she's probably going to get away with this murder, but do we actually know? Or is she going to get caught? Are they going to figure it out right at the end? Like one of them look down and be like, Oh my god, I'm eating Patrick! (laughs) (laughs) Like, you don't know that in the story. I mean, you're having a little bit, you know, heart palpitations. You get a little nervous. Like, oh my god, is she going to get caught? Because you feel for her. I mean, you're supposed to sympathize with her, I think, throughout the story that she is in the right for what she did. Well, at the time, particularly. Right now, when divorces happen, it's like, yeah, divorces happen. But in 1953, when a woman got divorced, there was a form of shame, both publicly and just emotionally. It was a hard thing to go through. And I think this piece speaks to that from a writing perspective, because you've got a lot of more people going through divorces at this point in time that it, it can be hard to express those insecurities. And what's crazy in this story, that's it's such a simple story, or, or I should say it's such a clean story, is that there's a third layer here of irony and that's situational irony because you have these expectations of what you think is going on and what is going to happen in the story and then it doesn't happen that way i think that he does a beautiful job in this story of being able to teach that through such a short piece i think that's a good point for like writers too specifically that if you just throw someone for a loop with no hints that something's coming, sometimes out of left field is okay, and sometimes it feels very jarring. A beautiful element of a lot of, of postmodern writing and, and early 1900 writing is, is, is they do this beautiful job of foreshadowing, like you talked about with the intro, of, of the juxtaposition of all of these different elements in the story, that you're, you're almost being set up for the twist without being told there's a twist coming. I think you said the perfect word. This story is so clean. Every element of this story is perfectly and well-placed. It's clear to get to that point, and it's hard to write that clean. And I love how he does the situational irony, setting up the routine within the routine, then breaking that in the perfect spot, and then switching right back to a routine again the whole while you know Mary's cackling in the background like, I've gotten away with it. And oh, yeah. uh, it's a lot of fun to go through that story and see it, you know, up and down, up and down, up and down. Well, let's, let's talk about that real quick, too, because I really like the way she's just in this haze when she does it. And it's almost like the facts kind of get blurred a little bit through her narrative, through this third-person limited narrative. And she goes to the store to shop as if she's going to cook him dinner. And then when she comes back, that's when she's faced with the truth of what she did for the first time, and there's this line. That's the way, she told herself. Do everything right and natural. Keep things absolutely natural, and there'll be no need for any acting at all. And I think what you just brought up at the end, where where you see her being really evil in the background, think of the, the title of the story, Lamb to the Slaughter. When the story opens up, going back to this whole subverting expectations and such, you think she's the lamb in the beginning. Let me get you the slippers, honey. Let me get you another drink. Let me cook for you. And then, bam, she's the wolf under the sheep's clothing. Patrick. Is, is the lamb that was slaughtered here. And another common thing in, in literature is lambs represent innocence. They represent 
weakness. In the end, the cops are the ones that are eating the lamb, aka the cops are eating the innocents. And that's the moment when she starts to have that evil smile and laughter in the <laughs> background when they're eating her innocence. It's just so clean how the story was put together. It's it's just beautiful the way he sets you up and changes it with, with the ironies of the situational, the dramatic, and the verbal ironies throughout this whole story. There's just tons of them. That there's, it's no wonder that this story has become a classic and teaching tool for people to learn what these all mean. So yeah, I think it brings me into one of my final points. This story also, as you said, is eloquent. And I think one of the most important aspects of it is the choice of words. So whether the legend is true that Ian Fleming convinced him or suggested the way to write this story, the lamb is the murder weapon, the lamb is the innocence, but also his wordplay throughout the story is very, very impressive. And some of it's very subtle. And one of the things that I really liked was how you see her change and evolve as a person, even through such a short story. In the beginning, you think she's the lamb, like you said, but also her relationship with Patrick is through the whole beginning of the story, she says things, hello, darling, always using a- A pet name? A pet name, thank you. She's always using the pet name. Oh, are you tired, darling? And then after the murder and she comes back from the store from your quote, Patrick, she called, how are you, darling? And it's all for who? She says she's not acting anymore, that she's just going to believe it to be true. And I think that that's very subtle, that that's the very first time she uses his name and not the pet name. After she comes back to the store, has convinced herself and is now back into playing this role, but it's almost like she slipped. It's after the murder she flips. Because I know she says, I remember she says Patrick at the butcher. And then she starts talking about that acting. And, and, and in this in this role, exactly as you're saying, she's starting to pull that out. Um, but yeah, yeah, you see that turn. Let me, let me bring up one more really quick point, because I don't want to go into this detail, because I'm not a huge fan of looking too much into Freudian symbols and such. But that's mm-hmm. going to be very relevant. Hint, hint. For one of our future stories, uh, Vladimir Nabokov coming up here. When he turns her down for stuff, in terms of the, honey, can I get you the slippers? Honey, can I get you a drink? Honey, can I cook you food? Slippers being something that Freud always viewed as a feminine thing of of offering sex. when 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 you put something in something else that's viewed as sex. Food being sensual, offering sex. So all of these were very minor Freudian examples of the wife offering up items to the husband and the husband turning it down. And eventually that's when he re- reveals that he wants the divorce, that he doesn't want that from her anymore, which I thought was kind of interesting. Because he's cheating on her. <laughs> Insinuated. You did. You, you went. It makes me feel better about the story. Like, yeah, I'm team Mary. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get the shirts made up. Team yes! Patrick over here. Oh, boo. Let us know Let us know down below in the comments if you're Team Mary or Team Patrick. Here on the Codex Cantina, we do literary breakdowns all the time. We are doing a month of the best short stories of all time, where Crypto here's favorite story is Harrison Bergeron. So, for our wrap-up, Mr. Crypto, did Lamb to the Slaughter by Roald Dahl, the darling of teaching irony across America, well, in England too, right? <laughs> Probably more there. Did this overtake Harrison Bergeron as your favorite short story? Drum roll, please. No. Uh, I figured. You didn't sound uh, as excited as I thought. It, it's a great story. It's a great teaching tool. I, I love this story. You know, you give it a solid eight. Uh, 
definitely highly ranked. I really enjoyed reading it. I think it has a lot of valuable lessons, but I don't think it's life-changing. All right, well, the next time your wife offers you lamb, we'll see what you say. (laughs) I hate lamb. Please consider subscribing for more greats such as Hemingway, Faulkner, and other wonderful pieces that we're obsessed with. So peace out, guys. Peace out.